HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Blueprint, the original juice cleanse program to offer different levels of intensity depending on your needs and current diet. For more information, visit Blueprint.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome back to the Speakeasy. I'm your host, Dan Mabolti. It's been a couple of heavy weeks in the industry. Um, there was Tales of the Cocktail, which we all made it back from pretty pretty easily, except for uh, one Southwest flight that kept us in the the airport for a little while. Uh, but we all got back, and then uh, and then out here at Roberta's just on Saturday, uh, there was the Bushwick Block Party, and uh, you know. If you could, you know, beat the sweat and, you know, the elbow-to-elbow drinking and partying, God bless you, you made it. And uh, speaking of Tales of the Cocktail, I had the great fortune of hanging out with a good buddy of mine, bartender here in New York City, Hiram Dorman. Um, Welcome to the show. It's been a while. I've been asking you a couple of times, and, like, finally we got a chance to do this. Just serendipitously, you have a day off after many days' work and post-tales. Indeed, indeed, yes. And uh, it was uh, perfect timing. You asked me to come on, uh, and uh, here I am. Nice. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, so do you remember anything from Tales of the Cocktail? <laughs> I remember arriving, <laughs> and I remember some drinking. No, actually, I, I remember it I remember it very well. Uh, it, it was... Uh, uh, it, it was a good time. This, this is my second Tales and uh, the first time yeah. that I went. I didn't know what I was doing. I overplanned. I went to seminars all day, every day, and I had scheduled myself so intensely that I didn't have a chance to enjoy the city. So uh, the, the goal this time was to just sort of go with the flow and yeah. uh, make no plans beyond 18 hours or so. Sure. What were some of the, the seminars and, and events that you went to um both the year before and this year, that, well, I, that really stuck out to you. I went. I went two years ago, and um, uh, I mean, this this was two years ago. I don't remember exact. Uh, I don't remember all the seminars I went to, <laughs> but uh, 
Eben Friedman did a really interesting one on protecting your intellectual property as a bartender uh, uh, or as a beverage director, as a consultant, uh, which I was incredibly informative to me. Um, and, uh, you know, I learned a lot there. Um, uh, there was, uh, you know, these seminars, you sometimes they work, work out really well. And then other times you just end up getting advertised to for an hour by whoever sure. the sponsor is. But there was a great one that Centauri did two years ago with, uh, uh, uh where, um, uh, I thought that we were going to learn about Japanese whiskey and we did, but we also learned about ice carving and ended up having Japanese whiskey full, full pours of Yamazaki 12 and, and Hakushu 15 being passed around to 200 guests with hand carved, hand, hand, hand carved ice balls that they had worked on, I guess that morning or whatever, wow. uh, which was very cool. Uh, I didn't do any seminars this year though. Um, I mean, it sounds terrible, but I, I just went to parties. Um, <laughs> I was parties. Like, I mean, my, 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 my girlfriend and I uh, uh, were down there and we, we went out to eat. We went to parties and, 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 and if we were invited to a tasting room or, or sometimes there were things off the beaten path, we went to those and it's great. Yeah. I always say I'd rather skip class and go straight to the party. But mm-hmm. uh, it's, you know, there are so many great like seminars and, and different, conf- you know, like just like educational conferences like that are within that conference that that should not be missed even for people who have been in the industry for a very long time and you know like you know we can't it it, it sounds really shitty because we kind of sometimes uh position ourselves as kind of like know-it-alls but <laughs> but but you know there's there's always more to be learned and that's one of the great things about to me about this industry and about bartending speaking of that actually um how did you get into this industry? Well, um, it started with growing up in a family where there was no drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously that that fascinated me. <laughs> um, uh, why do other people drink, and what does it do, and 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 you know, and eventually how is it made? Um, I don't think it ever occurred to me to bartend until one day when I was, you know. This is how it always happens. You're, you're underage. I was 17 years old, and uh, uh, my, my best friend, Nick, his, his, both of his parents had gone out of town for spring break simultaneously. And so we had spring break, and it was a week running amok in both of his parents' That's house. a dangerous time for parents to leave. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, sorry, Gary, and sorry, Gail. Uh, but, um, yeah, so first night, uh, we're there, and we're sitting in front of a liquor cabinet with uh, with Nick's Playboy Bartender's Guide uh, <laughs> open in front of us, and we say, what can we make? And the first cocktail I ever made was a sidecar, um, and uh, we made all of the cocktails that we were capable of making with the ingredients we had on hand, and afterwards, we said we should be bartenders. I mean, we, we were, at the time... Uh, under the impression that you made lots of money and got lots of women. And that was, that was what bartending <laughs> was about. Um, and uh, I eventually became a bartender. And um, you realize that at the age of 17, you probably made more cocktails than most bartenders will ever make in their life. It's I just in the greater scheme of things. <laughs> well, I, we only made about six drinks. I know. So, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, and the, the, the sidecar was probably better than, well, no, it wasn't. It was, uh, it was probably <laughs> terrible. Um, but yeah, so I, um, 
started getting really into beer and really into bourbon when I was uh, about 19. Uh, had a place where I could buy it. So uh, I decided, well, I can't afford to become an expert in any of these other spirits that are expensive. So I'm going to learn about bourbon and buy bourbon. And um, but I had no guidance. I had no, I didn't know any bartenders. I didn't know, I didn't go to bars. I didn't have money to go to bars. I didn't have a fake ID. Uh, so I turned 21. I went to bartending school, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I mean, that's what you do, right? And um, quickly realized after a few hours that was a mistake uh, <laughs> because I knew more than anybody else there, including the people I was supposed to be listening to. Um, and that was a kind of odd experience because it wasn't really the type of, we weren't learning the type of bartending I wanted to do. I was a nerd. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I had no outlet for my nerdiness. I just knew that even at that time I wanted to work with fresh ingredients and premium spirits. And, and, um, so I, uh, uh, but I stuck it out through bartending school because, you know, they tell you this is a pipeline to a job. Right. And, uh, eventually found out that it was not. Sure. Um, and so I moved to New York, um, and decided not to make the fake, the fake resume that bartending school told me to make. I made a resume that highlighted my inexperience and I got a job at the first place that I walked into, um, which wasn't a great job, but it was a bartending job. And had someone told me, you know, go to, I don't know, Little Branch or anywhere and beg to bar back. Sure. That had I, had I the chance to do it over again, I would have. But again, I, I think there's, there's a lot of, Virtue in in starting in places where it's not like a cocktail bar, you know, like you have to learn to me, like to actual actually bartend first, you know, to tend the bar and deal with people and and situations that you might not want to have to deal with and and crappy ingredients, you know, I, I like oh, yeah. you know like getting into it that way, it gives you it makes you strive to you know better yourself and to like you know elevate the the bar around you, you know. And then, then you know, you work into the the cocktail bars. That's just my opinion. And so I think I think it would, I think you'd be a much different bartender as far as like you know the people skills and everything. Like had you started at some place like Little Branch, even as a bar back. You know? Sure, sure. But it took a long time to get to the point where I was making I was making cocktails. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was making cocktails, really, I was I'd been a bartender for four years, five years. Mm-hmm. Um. But you know, at my first job, we, you know, I would love to say everything was free pour, but I don't even think we had pour spouts. I, <laughs> we didn't measure anything. I remember asking, what's the pour on you know, a, a whiskey on the rocks? And nobody could tell me how much to pour. They were just like, ah, I don't know, up to here. And we had these like big wide glasses with no marking <laughs> on them or anything. So uh, some of the bartenders like to pour about four ounces. Other bartenders like to pour one. <laughs> um, I split the difference. but. <laughs> Um, but even once I started bartending, it was a long time before I knew that was all I wanted to do. Yeah. And I kind of feel, I feel the same way. Like I was very similar situation, you know, always like looking around at, at cocktail books and I didn't, I didn't have a full liquor cabinet in front of me to, uh, see what I could make. It was just like, Oh, what is Curacao? Curacao? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is that? What is that ingredient? 
And, you know, like, luckily some of the, the really kind of cheesy and not so cheesy cocktail books would have, like, you know, a glossary in the back, you know, of, like, what these ingredients are. So that's, it was a lot of, it was the the most in, like, nose in a textbook I'd probably ever been in my entire life is with cocktail books. Or the first, the first cocktail recipe book that I had was a Mr. Boston's Guide, mm-hmm. um, which at the time was the source my only source of information, really, to what any of these things were. And I still have that guide, and I still refer back to it and laugh at, you know, and some of, some of the stuff in there is not half bad. Some of the recipes actually aren't half bad. Um, but when you've got a, a recipe for a classic daiquiri, you know, a few pages away from the section on, you know, college bar shooters, yeah, <laughs> um, uh, it's hard for a young, impressionable guy to make sense of what's what. Right. Like what um, you should be making for for guests. What I should be making, what I should be caring about. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember when I when I turned twenty one, I was living in um, Humboldt County in Northern California, and I was living in a big big Victorian mansion with a ton of roommates. And I put a bar together in my closet, and I just bought everything. It was like I just buy everything. So I had you know I had nice whiskey and i also had kalua i had and like 99 bananas <laughs> i had everything i wanted i thought i needed to be able to make everything and then at night about nine o'clock i would start making drinks and my roommates knew if they were home at nine or nine thirty, they were probably going to get drunk uh <laughs> and that was me messing around sort of teaching myself what works and what doesn't and making a few forays into coming up with recipes of my own uh i won't repeat any of those recipes because they're embarrassing <laughs> Um, that's pretty awesome. Uh, you know, if, if, especially in Humboldt County, if they weren't super stoned, they could come to your room and get drunk. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> Basically. Um, so at what point, um, after this first bar job in New York City, did you, uh, where did you move from there? Uh, I was at Bar and Books. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you know it. Hudson uh, Bar and Books. Hudson yeah. Bar and Books. Yeah, I was at Hudson Bar and Books. And that was, uh, that was, that was kind of a surprise uh, I didn't expect to get the job. And then when I got it, I didn't expect it to be as intensive as it was because I found myself doing all of the ordering for the bar on day one. Oh, wow. Uh, which I'd never done anything like that before. It ended up being a wonderful crash course in how to... Bar management? Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I was there. That's where I learned scotch. And um, uh, and really, that was where I really learned about bars. Yeah. Uh, I was at the other bar for two years, but it wasn't until I was at Bar and Books, and which was a real bar, yeah. that I sort of learned why people go to bars. I didn't know <laughs> why why bars are good, why they're important. Instead of like sitting at home drinking, or yeah, it's so much time. cheaper to sit at home. I always thought to myself, I'm like, well, you know, I'm happy to serve these people, but I much rather. Why don't they just buy these ingredients, make it at home, and s- save a few bucks? I didn't. I didn't understand the theater of it. I didn't understand the cultural uh, uh, value of it. I didn't understand the community that comes up around a bar until bar and books. And I mean, so you, you never watched Cheers growing up? Or? <laughs> no, no, never watched Cheers. And uh, if I had, it still would have been lost on me. Oh yeah. Um, so uh, it wasn't until I was at bar and books that I started actually going to bars and, and appreciating it. Mm-hmm. Not, just going to a bar to get a drink, but going to a bar because it's a bar. Yeah. And I'm there to be there and to experience what they're offering and uh, to experience the, the staff. 
Um, and so I was there, and then from there, I ended up at Intertech at La Quarry Bar, mm-hmm. um, where at the time, Matt Piacentini was the bar manager. Um, he's one of the owners of Clyde Common. I don't know if you know Matt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, when he left La Quarry Bar to open the Beagle, I took over for him. And that was, that was where I really got into cocktails. It was where I kind of got past just spirits and, and learned to make cocktails, create cocktails, appreciate cocktails. And, um, you know, I was there for almost three years. Yeah. And especially there, I mean, you got to work with a lot of like Amari and different, like the kind of like obscure spirits, which sounds to me like was kind of like subconsciously your plan all along was like, I think know, so with your, with your closet full of booze. I think so. Camp. I mean, our back bar at the LaCroix bar was stupid. I mean, we had way too many bottles, to be honest. Uh, we, we, not only did we physically have too many bottles for our shelving space, but we had too many bottles for our needs. And one time a guest comes in and said, how often do you touch that bottle right there? And I'm like, when I do inventory. Or, <laughs> or if I forget what it tastes like. Yeah. You know, but, um, uh, yeah, I learned a lot of obscure stuff. I learned to work with a lot of interesting ingredients. I ended up uh, getting really into Amaro while I was there. I had a whole page on my cocktail menu just dedicated to shaken Amaro drinks, uh, which was uh, that was a really fun shake experience. Shaken Amaro drinks. Shaken Amaro drinks, Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, it's usually, I mean, we always think about uh, Amaro drinks being stirred. So that's, yeah, that's I didn't mean for it to be shaken Amaro drinks, but when looking back on my menu now, I realized, wow, they were all shaken Amaro drinks. It's actually oh. kind of weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it sounds like you uh, you really like kind of each place you went and you got like a pretty hardcore crash course in, in spirits and like different technique. And I think that's the way it should be. You know, you, you got to keep learning. You know, we got we got to completely go against what we just did at Tales of the Cocktail, <laughs> right? You know? And actually keep continuing the uh, the educational process. Yeah. With well, it. and I I ultimately left Lacroix Bar because I wanted to be pushed further mm-hmm. because when you're when you're in charge for too long. And you don't have anyone telling you, no, this is how you do it. Sometimes you forget that there's another way to do it right. and a better way to do it. Sure. Um, and I think we all need to sort of continue challenging ourselves if we're going to continue to get better. Because what was good five years ago is still good. Right. But there's now all these different types of good that we're experiencing sure. in these different bars. And, and bars that impressed me four years ago yeah. aren't the same. Uh, Do you ever go mind. back and like test out your, you know, like how you have your specs for your different classes? Do you ever go back and like test your like Sazerac cocktail? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I've I've gone back. I have. Uh, is, is it surprising to you sometimes how you want to like you'll change it? You know. Sometimes, sometimes I go back and I realize the spec was better, but uh, there are a lot of times where I go back to my spec for a classic for, from four years ago or whatever, and I realize that I I hadn't experienced this important thing yet that made me understand this nuance of the cocktail. And then of course the funny thing is I'm really the only one that's going to matter to. Right. Right. Because, you know, I don't think any of my guests were thinking, you know, this, uh, this, this, this isn't the right vermouth to use in this Negroni. Right. Um, but as long as I know, I think that's, what's important. Absolutely. Well, dude, let's take a break and, uh, let's make a cocktail. when We get back. And we'll be back in just a moment with Chaim Derman. Blueprint is the original juice cleanse program to offer different levels of intensity depending on your needs and current diet. 
Designed to purify and detoxify, Blueprint Cleanse is made from the freshest 100% raw and USDA-certified organic ingredients, cold-pressed to retain nutrients and flavor. Blueprint also offers a line of organic juices, cold-pressed and raw, in a variety of fruit and vegetable combinations, and available in individual bottles. Blueprint Cleanse is available at Whole Foods Market and many other retailers across the U.S., to learn more about their line of organic cleanses, juices, and other products, visit them today at blueprint.com or call them at 866-774-6831. That's 866-774-6831. Work hard, play hard, cleanse, repeat. to the speakeasy today in the studio we have Kayam Dowerman and we were just talking about um, basically like his uh, his journey from uh, a teenage mixologist to uh, the bars that he's at now which is at Desnuda and at Gin Palace here in New York City and we were just talking about um, you know the learning experience and and you know not just with like spirits and cocktails, but also learning how to become a bartender in the first place. And then right before the break, we were talking about making cocktails. And luckily today, he's brought a cocktail with him on the show. And uh, what, what do you got here? Well, you mix that up very quickly, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Impressive. Oh. Um, I, what I've got here is uh, it's one of our cocktails at Desnuda. Um, and so at Desnuda, it's, uh, it's a ceviteria. Have have you been? Yeah. Have you come, have you come by? Yeah. I don't know if it was when I was there, when Aaron was there. When Aaron was there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, but, uh, for, for listeners, it's a ceviteria and the, uh, cocktail list is all based on South American spirits. Uh, this is, uh, uh, it's called the Reformer. It's, uh, Avoir Ambarana Cachaça, which is, uh, uh, aged cachaça that I'm extremely fond of these days. Um, a little fino sherry, cherry hearing, a syrup of maruga scorpion and pasilla chilies, and Peychaud's bitters. Woo! That's nice. Now, this is coming out a little hot because it's usually a bit more diluted because mm-hmm. uh, we're <laughs> just having it on the rocks right now. I didn't stir it. Um but uh, chilies are a really big part of what I'm trying to do with the cocktail program there. Uh, I used to roll my eyes when guests would say, do you have any spicy drinks? Do you have any spicy drinks? Do you have any spicy drinks? And so finally I was just like, fine. Okay. Now now we're going to do spicy drinks. Yeah. And it turns out it's really fun. Oh, um, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, I, I feel the same way. It's like, you know, a lot of times, like, what do you do, like, when someone asks for a spicy drink? I mean, you probably have a bottle of Tabasco back there, but, like, 
maybe you've got some jalapenos, but if you really have that in your your mise en place, you know, it's like there's I mean, why wouldn't you use all these different peppers? There's so many different peppers and so many different spices well, to use. It's and like, what, what I've found myself doing and what I was doing when I was coming up with the initial cocktail list and, and we're about to go and I'm about to get my hands on a lot more peppers and going to go into a new phase. But um, so the, the chilies for Desnuda come from a, a micro farm in Woods Hole, Massachusetts called Nobska Farms. It's a guy named Rooster Fricky. So it's pepper, a great name. Yeah, it is. It is a great name. <laughs> pepper enthusiast, and he specializes in exotic super hot chilies. And we don't have enough time for me to explain all the connections, like how I got acquainted with this guy. But basically, um, I have now found myself building cocktails around peppers, not necessarily spirits. Right, so cool. as far as I have the pepper, and I think, okay, what is going to go well with this? You know, the heat level, the flavor, the aroma. Um, so this is uh, built around the Maruga Scorpion Chili, which is the hottest pepper in the world right now. Um, I'm glad you added the cherry hearing. <laughs> why is that? Because it really it, it works really well. The spice and the cherry go really well together, but also the kind of sweetness kind of like... Well, I, I wish I had. I wish I had the peppers. I wish I brought the peppers with me. These This is it's from, from a dried chili, but when you smell dried Maruga Scorpions... They it smells like a mix between like cherries and apricot fruit leather, mm. uh, and yeah. immediately I started thinking about cherry hearing, which is I'm obsessed with cherry hearing to a, a really embarrassing degree. And it doesn't <laughs> even make any sense to me sometimes, but uh, you'll always know when I had my hands on a cocktail list because it'll be like half cherry hearing cocktails. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it just made sense for this. Yeah, and especially with the Peixot bitters. Peixot, I mean, it's already got that kind of like cherry anise flavor. You know? mm-hmm. It's really cool. This is a great job. It's a great cocktail. I, I can't take 100% of the credit for this because even though I came up with the bones, the bare bones of this, it was actually Chris Louder helped me put the final final touches on this. Thanks. About like Before we opened, we were eating dumplings and working on this drink at midnight at Desnudo when it was not a bar yet. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, so... But uh, I'm glad you like it. Yeah, I mean, what kind of uh, what kind of other peppers are you using? Well, right now um, we've got Maruga um, scorpions and pasillas. Uh, we also have uh, we've got a, a, another cocktail on our list uh, featuring the Devil's Tongue Chili, which is it's it's related to the habanero uh, in flavor. It's a little bit more more stone fruit and less citrus than uh, habanero has, but it's kind of the same heat level. Um, we have a jalapeno drink, um, which is, uh, it's with a, it's, it goes into a shrub. Um, okay. we're about to have a lot of, uh, South American varietals that are going to come our way, um, probably at the end of August. Um, and it's going to, we're going to have fresh peppers. We're going to have new dried peppers and it's going to, it's going to expand. We're at nine drinks right now. We're going to expand. Quite a bit, as much as we can. Yeah. Uh, and uh, my intention is always to keep about a half and half spicy to non-spicy ratio on the menu. Sure. I mean, yeah, they can't all be spicy. That's true. But um, hell, I mean, like, there's, I don't know, like every time it's. This is my favorite part of making drinks. It's like finding new ingredients, and you know, I always love, you know, when Aaron Polsky's been on the show, we always talk about like getting in the kitchen and getting in the spice rack and. I know. Even with like Cripple Creek, you know, know, we were doing things with like SOS Chef, 
You've been there, I'm sure. I no, Aaron's told me about it a bunch of times, and I have still not gone there. Oh man, I'm, you would, I'm lame. You'd love it, dude. Yeah, we found these awesome uh, dehydrated uh, black trumpet mushrooms that we uh-huh. infused uh, into Glenroth scotch. Yeah, I think he, I think he mentioned that to me. Yeah. Um, I I love being in a kitchen. In fact, one of my one of my big regrets is that I've never worked in a kitchen before, yeah. uh, uh, and I would I would love to. I think it I think it gives you really important skills behind the bar, but uh, you know, I've well, when I was at Intertech Liquori Bar, we had a huge kitchen at my disposal. I could make ingredients all day long, and 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 the interesting thing at Desnuda is that uh, we don't have a kitchen really. We have two bars. The ceviche we don't we don't we don't have a hood system. We don't have stoves. We don't have open flames. It's it's ceviche. It's raw. Right. So. Everything I do is with whatever equipment I have on my counter. I mean, I have I have a juicer, obviously. I have, uh, you know, we've got these little electric camp burners, I guess you I could call them. That, not not induction. Not oh. even induction. Um, and that's what I make all my syrups on. And <laughs> it's, it's a new experience uh, because it's sort of, I'm still doing all the same techniques that I've done for my other drinks and even employing a few new ones, but with not necessarily the same equipment or the same space at my disposal. Right. Um, you know, I don't have the luxury of showing up on my day off and spending five hours in the prep kitchen while service is going on upstairs, right. which used to be my style. It's probably better for my, my personal life that I don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I, I'm lucky enough to work with a, a lot of people. Hell, I guess pretty much the, the entire management staff of Prime Meats, they, uh, they've all spent time in the kitchen, you know, uh, or gone to culinary school. And so, like, you know, I remember, like, you know, four years ago, I was cutting up a pineapple, and one of our managers walks by, and he's like, what the hell are you doing? It's like, that's not how you do that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, thanks, man. <laughs> you know, even, like, like small techniques, you know, things like that. It's like, even just holding a paring knife the right way, you know, like, things like that. There's It's so much more than just, like, the spice cabinet and the uh, the walk-in, I feel like, from, uh, you know, the, the bar to the back of the house, you know, as far as things you can learn. So, it, it, I mean, but but I I think there's also virtue in like uh, having uh, kind of like the handicaps of not having that full kitchen. Like, oh, it's fantastic. You know, it's like you really get to strip down and like think about what's important for the drink. You know. Well, but, I've had many experiences over the last few years where I've learned no, you can do this with this. No, you you know, you don't need this many people. You don't need this much time. You don't need all of this. Um, uh, and it's taught me to push myself. You know, can I can I work this particular bar without a bar back? Can we work this particular bar with only one station open? Can we work this particular? How many drinks can I make in an hour? All of these things, and and when you put yourself in situations where you have to make do with less, uh, you often learn that you don't you don't need more, right. and it makes everything better. Yep, absolutely. Man, we're actually at the end of the show now. Well, um, it goes by so fast, doesn't it? It really does. All right. Yep. Well, um, cheers, sir. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for these awesome drinks. And uh, um, can't wait to have you back on again. Yeah, I would love that. Um, uh, all right. And, and where, when are you? Uh, when are you at Desnuda? Um, usually behind the stick at Desnuda Tuesdays through Fridays, and I'm at Gin Palace with uh, my buddy Will Pete every Saturday night. Gin Palace on Saturdays, huh? I, I yeah. That's, that's a hell of a time. <laughs> it, it, it is a good time, and it is my favorite time. And I'm gonna work that shift until. I need a walker. I, I, I love it. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, yeah. All right. We'll come, we'll come see you then.
Okay. All right. Hope so. And pl- please come back anytime you like. I would love it. All right. All right. You've been listening to Hi, I'm Dorm- Darman. Sorry. Uh, this has been The Speakeasy, and we'll catch up with you next week. All right. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.